This is Mark Gansley, and you're listening to My Friend the Friar with John Lee and Father Stephen Sanchez, a discalced Carmelite priest. It's perfect. You and weren't recording his squeal? No, but I hit record now, so. <laughs> why were you way, talking about babies? You did not. Huh? Why? What brought up the. No, wait, oh, we were why are you. Two year olds. Because why we're, were, talking you? About, we're talking about two year old. Like, I made a comment about um, anybody who thinks that a two year old, like, just because they're cute. Like, anybody with two year olds knows that just because you're cute doesn't mean that you're nice. Yeah, but why were you asking him? Because it just made me think, like, we were so. Nostalgic. Like you and I will get nostalgic, even like when we know like they're in their terrible twos, like when they're cute. Like mm. that, you get that nostalgia for when your child was younger, right? Parents do, um, and it just made me wonder. Like, if you're a priest, do you get nostalgia when you see somebody oh, I see. like serving at the altar for the first time, in, you know, as an acolyte in their seminary and you know their their third year or something like? Yeah, it it makes you sort of nostalgic for not only your own your own journey right you remember your own journey but i think part of it is as you see children coming up as, as your children your spiritual children right and i was oh. i was telling mark that when the seminarians would come over to mount carmel center for for spiritual direction that they had to come twice a month and so i'd walk them out and then i'd walk them out and they'd they'd leave and so I'd, i would go talk to the secretary to mary uh and i would just tell them like they're so cute when they're yeah. at that age. They're just yeah. like, oh. It's like, do you remember what it was like to be excited? To be excited and, and yeah. you know, to be zealous and all those things and naive. <laughs> yeah, like because you don't know you, you don't know it yet. It's it's the same kind of thing. You know, this is actually kind of interesting because I think those feelings are super valuable. Um, for example, uh, thinking of marriage, right? You see newlyweds or you see pictures of your wedding or whatever, and you're just like, or you think of, of memories, right? The first time you all took a vacation or whatever, right? You, you have these memories and you get all nostalgic and you're like, oh, we were so in love. We were so, you know, whatever. And it, you weren't lost in the grind of the day-to-day kind of stuff. But anybody who has actually, I think, pursued... I don't know how to say it, pursued marriage, pursued like true love in that. I wouldn't go back there. <laughs> like you couldn't pay me to go back yeah. to being a newlywed because it's not the same. No. Right? No. And so that's, that's, but it's important, I think, to remember that zeal because I think it's easy for people to get caught, too caught up right. in the day to day. And right. so I'm sure it's the same thing as a priest. Yeah. Right? You, the deeper you get into, if you allow yourself to grow, and and deepen in your commitment and if we're talking about relationships it, it, you come to a place where you can be completely and totally vulnerable i mean completely vulnerable as it should be in, in a real relationship to it's okay to, to think back like oh yeah i remember when we first met and yeah this is where we la 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 and that's all great and great and wonderful but to have to go through all that all over again, <laughs> the whole growth, like, mm, hard pass. I, <laughs> where I'm at is good. Where, where we're at is good. I mean, because you're at the point where in your relationship, whether it's friendship or love or whatever it might be, you're at a point where you're like, mm, we've done the work and, and we need to celebrate where we're at. And it's it's good to 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 remember where we began the trajectory. But do you want to go through all that work again? Like, mm, <laughs> thank you, no. Yeah, we can enjoy the fruits of that right. that journey, right. 
Um, and you know what I what I loved the first time I read anything about JP 2s theology of the body was um, just the the how he drew out this picture of so this is God giving us a taste of the perfect communion, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experience, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we're being, like, our life here is in part is to help teach us how to live in communion when we die. Like yeah. How, that, that's why we're given, you know, the time that we're given here on earth in part is so that we can overcome that brokenness, that we can be conformed more to the heart of, the, uh, of, of Jesus, and so that we can be ready, made ready, to participate in that. And that's, you know, that, that made ready goes specifically to what you're talking about, which is, you know, like as you go through that with any relationship through any of those levels of intimacy, you're being made ready throughout that process. You're continually being made ready to more and more thoroughly enjoy communion with someone else, right? which is, but a foretaste of ultimately what we'll experience. What the true communion would be. Right. Yeah. In a way, it's sort of it's being initiated into depending upon okay, <laughs> conditions everywhere. Uh, those are, these are broad strokes, right? So, depending upon your responsiveness to it, you're being initiated into Trinitarian life. I mean, that's what the Trinitarian life is about: is about the complete and total vulnerability to the other. And, and when you reach that point, it's amazing it's miraculous it's it's an adventure it's scary as hell all mm. those things but that's part of the the whole idea of that of the trinitarian life is you know we can say in speculative theology and you can say it in every erudite way if you're von balthasar or ron or whoever right <laughs> you can say like it's it's the uh the spot it, it is the mutual outpouring in kenos, in canonic love, and also receiving the other, and it's it sounds beautiful and, and great and abstract, but it's 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 adventuresome. It's it's scary because if you're emptying yourself, there must be some the the act of emptying yourself is an act of faith, mm-hmm. and so to empty yourself and to and to await for the other person to empty themselves into you as well. I mean, that's also an act of faith, an act of hope. So there's a lot in terms of Trinitarian life that we're called to live, but sometimes we don't we don't think that far or that deeply. Yeah. But that's 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 what we're called to. Yeah. Well and and it's it's hard and scary. Yeah. Right. So it's like I don't feel like emptying myself right now. Right. Or I don't want to give a hundred percent. I want to hold back a little bit because that's the safe thing to do. Yeah. Right, um, or you empty yourself and then you get nothing back, and you're like, "But that was important." Yeah, but it, I didn't like that. Right? right, but you have to. It's so it's so much work to do. But yeah, it's like my my um, my wife tells me I can't remember somebody. Um, oh, I think I know who it is. But anyway, so like they never they wake up. This woman wakes up. She puts on makeup every day, like. And I'm not good friends with her, so I don't know for sure. But she was like, her, um, her husband doesn't get to see her without makeup. Like, but that's her. Like, she doesn't want to be seen without makeup. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. I, so I think about it, and I, I go, it, it, you know, it kind of makes me think. 
I remember when I first met my wife and we'd go on dates and she'd wear something cute and all that and just think how beautiful she is. And now like she rolls out of, out of bed with her pajamas on and there's like a cat stuck to the side of her head because <laughs> the cats like to sleep real close to her. And, and I just think how beautiful. Right. Right. And that, but there's that, that maturing that over time, that process is, uh, like I said, it's hard work and yeah, but it's so much more rewarding. But I think there's something when you get deep into it, that is important about thinking like what it felt like to want to put all this effort into something as shallow as how I look for the other person. I think those things are important still somehow. They are. They are. Because part of it too is, and I hate this phrase, (laughs) uh, but you're still going to say it. I'm going to still say it. (laughs) Your best self. And I hate that phrase because it's so trite and so... (laughs) commercialized did you just think about what i was i sure did yeah (laughs) so like it's so like it just chaps me in like anyway but it captures it captures you know that idea of the betterment is not for just for myself but the betterment is because my desire for betterment is not self-improvement for myself it's not egotistical it's the my love for you drives me to want to be better for you. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess just because we're, we're talking about marriage, it doesn't mean it's any different than any of the vocation of the priesthood or the diaconate. Like or the do, diaconate. You, do you remember sure. your first, um, first celebrated mass? Yes. Or the I first did. time you heard confessions? Yes. Right. And you're just like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. Yes. My first, my first, this is an anecdote. Okay. My first confession was the day after I was ordained. Um, in San Antonio, since we're close to the the chancery, a lot of the chancery would come over to the monastery for confessions. The bishops would come over for confessions at the at the monastery. And the day after I was ordained, uh, the bishop that ordained me came and rang the doorbell, and I go open the door. And oh, Bishop! Blah, 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 blah. He's okay. So he, he goes, "Yes, I'm. I'm here for, I'm here for confession, for confession." And I go, "Okay, I'll I'll go get somebody," because I forgot that I. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bishop looks at me, and goes, "You'll do." And I go, "My heart <laughs> dropped down to my feet, and my stomach jumped up into my throat, and I go like, oh." Do I remember the absolution? He <laughs> says, of course, Bishop, come in, come in, come in. So I, I my my first confession was the bishop that ordained me. And it so I'll always remember that. <laughs> you didn't have a book with the rights in it? Well, no, I didn't have the book because he just showed up. He I was totally unprepared and so stepped into the confessional like, like, okay, so here we go. So that's funny. So Mark, why do you want to be a deacon, do you think? Why do you feel that you're called to the vocation of the diaconate instead of just married life? Yeah, that's 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 a really different wording, and it's an important one. Yes, and I think that's that's very modern. Um, the first way I said it, that's just how we talk. Right. But thoughts, words, actions, right? The way you think about it is the way you're going to speak about it, which is how you're going to enact it. So the second, please answer the second question, not yeah, so much the first. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so... The more that I've read about the diaconate and what it means and, and what its 
for and what the vocation really entails, um, the more I'm drawn to it, the more I'm attracted to it, the more that I see myself and some of the things that are said um, about the vocation and about um, the diaconate, the more, um, the more I'm hungry for that grace um, to, to be who I'm supposed to be, the, to be who Christ meant me to be. Um, like there's, there's a certain amount of, man, I could really use an extra helping of the Holy Spirit. Like, which <laughs> right. is, I, I don't know that's, you know, I don't know if that's doctrinally correct, but it sure is, you know, it's something that I think about from time to time is, man, I could use more help. <laughs> like I could always use more help. Um, but there's there's a lot involved in... So um, years ago, I read the, the Five Love Languages, and I think you've probably read that too. And so one of those is active service. And what's interesting about that book is it doesn't really get into the idea that your, the, your love language for how you express love could be very, very different than the way that you receive love or yes. you experience love. Yes. Yeah. Um, doesn't do anything. But one of the chief ways that I ex- do acts of service, acts of service is one of my chief ways of expressing my love mm. um, for, for people. So doing something for them. Um, and like the last chirp that we had, like you, you remember, I, was, I wasn't in the room ever. Yeah. I was in the background doing stuff. Because you were the sacristan, right? And the facilities coordinator. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, and so like doing something to make sure that they were going to have a good experience. Um, and that the things that needed to be taken care of were being taken care of. Like, that's who I've always been. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I joined Knights of Columbus years ago when I was up at St. Mark in Denton. And, um, like, I never wanted to be the Grand Knight. Like, I, I wanted to be the guy who was helping to put the chairs away afterwards. Yeah. You know? And, and part of it is because I've always been in charge at work. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to not have to be that person always. Um, but part of it is also because, um, that idea of servant leadership, that idea, um, where Christ tells us that the last will be first and the first will be last, that, um, that resonates for me. And so there's, there's a tremendous amount of service like we talked about in the last episode, that, that you are serving in persona Christi, but in persona Christi serving, in the person of Christ the servant. You are, con- you, are, you are ordained, you are marked to be a symbol to the church and to the laity of the church of what it means to fulfill your baptismal promises in service to Christ through serving the poor in spirit. The poor in flesh, the poor in you know in goods, the people who need help in your community, and um, and we don't necessarily see that. Like we see the deacon serving at mass, and so right. we see that obligation to preach. We see that obligation to 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 serve in the liturgy, but we don't necessarily see that in the church, um, because a lot of what the deacons will do at the direction of the bishop with whom they're incarnated is like one of our deacons is the associate um associate deacon for um for for um a uh oh, what's the St. Vincent de Paul. Okay. 
for St. Vincent de Paul. So he, he serves with, with that. Um, Deacon Vince, his service is to help men who are discerning the, the diaconate. So, I mean, they can serve in a lot of different ways. Um, when you are, in, so in, in Dallas, in the Diocese of Dallas, um, I mentioned that there you've got six years um, in, in, in formation. Um, in Dallas, everyone who's in formation will have a pastoral assignment in RCIA. They will have an assignment at a hospital as a, as a hospital chaplain, right? And I believe that includes typically an on-call period, like yeah, the rotation. Um, and then at least one of a prison assignment or a homeless ministry assignment. Right. Um, and those are... So here's, here's the difficulty with discerning the diaconate. Those are all things that you or I could be doing right now. Right? We can. Like, there's nothing that prevents any man or woman to serving in those. in those service, in those ministries, correct. Right. And there's men and women who are not ordained who are doing those things. Um, and there's a certain element, and I don't know, I mean, this, I know this will come out during discernment, but like there's a certain element of, man, like I feel like I would do that more if it was required, mm. you know, mm. which is terrible because it is required. But mm. Jesus said yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's really kind of interesting, too, because you're, you're, there's two things that came to mind as you're describing this. The first is there's an element, because I've had that sacristan role in a chirp group before, too, and there's something special about being the unseen help, and this might resonate with you being in a monastery. You are so necessary to the body of Christ, and there are some orders that are even more cloistered, like you don't see them ever kind of thing. Right. But why is that so, why is that such an important part of being the servant, do you think? Because it's really easy for our egos to, like, I want everyone to see that I'm helping kind of thing, which is kind of goes to my second part. But Uh, Part of it is in, in... And discerning the vocation, right, the the, the vocare, the, the personal call that you feel that in your the marrow of your bone that you feel this is something that God is asking you to do, it's in that you feel called to do it not just as an individual person, but you feel called to, see, to serve the larger community in a more official way. Uh, way a more public way, right? It's a more it's a it's a greater public commitment, right? And in terms of in terms of the different parts of the body, so every vocation is some facet, so, something uh, having to do with, with Christ. It's it's a, a reflection of Christ's uh, perfect life. And so, for the contemplatives. Uh, it is living that life of prayer of Christ. So whether it's on the mountain, right, or, or wherever it might be with, with the apostles or whatever it might be. And part of it is that the idea of uh, contemplation is considered, and this comes back from, this comes over to us from Greek philosophy. The whole idea of contemplation is considered the highest state, right? So the church has always said that Contemplation is something that is essential to the church and also something that brings um, 
a vitality to the church, whether you see them or not, whether it's cloistered nuns or whether it's the Carthusians or the Trappists or our, the Cistercians here in Dallas, that there there is something about the complete um, abandonment of the self in prayer. And basically what it is, it, it's, it's, it's a radical emptying, right? So where you, under, uh, under the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, that this is what, this is a, a more public promise to live that commitment of Christ, right? And that's where the importance is of that, that there's the Trinitarian work there as well. But I think in, in discerning, for example, the, the permanent diaconate, that is essential to the church too. And I think one of the things that the, the Second Vatican Council was trying to teach was that every vocation is necessary for the other vocation. And it is when you see them all together that the whole life of the church is balanced out and you see the richness of all the vocations. And when they come together, they complement each other and they help build uh, the community, the Trinitarian life of the church. So the, the life of the, the life of the Carthusian is just as important as the life of whatever congregation is involved in, in catechizing the poor, uh, in the Paulist order, right? The Paulist fathers the who Paulist are fathers. very much into media and right. yeah, evangelizing. Yeah. yeah. And so for like, as the diaconate, you, there's going to be aspects of it that are both right. Like I'm, doing my homeless ministry and nobody's right. really going to see me. Right. And then I'm serving at the altar at right. mass and everyone's going to see me. So it's interesting that you say that. I mean, even like the idea that, you know, if you are a cloistered nun, right? Like we don't see the cloistered nun day to day, but people are still aware that that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so they, even if, you know, they reject the church and they reject God and they like, there's some small part of them. They're like, why are people doing that? Mm -hmm. And right. that may make them like so uncomfortable that they reject it violently because they're idiots. But right. they're still wondering that, right? They're, they're still wondering why that's yeah. happening. There's a question there. That there is. Um, now, when you're serving the poor, like it's not on TV, right? It's not. It's not the Pharisee who's already <laughs> already gotten his reward. Yeah. Right. Um, but you're not alone. No. You're there serving Christ in that poor person or in that homebound person or in that right. sick person or in that person who's in prison. Um, and there is, for anybody who's never done any of those traditional corporal acts of mercy, there is something that is completely unobtainable in any other way than serving Christ right. in that way. Correct. Yeah. There's a feeling that comes from that. There's, right. there's, a, a filling in of what you emptied in that kenosis that you just can't get any other way. Yeah, so especially, especially, and I know this from all the times that somebody's walked up to the car when I'm sitting in the car, like, when they can't pay you back. Right. right. It's, and, it's and, transformative. And part absolutely. of it goes back to the whole idea of going back to the Old Testament where God tells Israel, like, to be holy as he is holy, right? So to, so to be like, to be like, you should be like me, right? Because I've, I've redeemed you, I've, I've rescued you. And the way you be like me is 
take care of the poor, take care of the widow, take care of the orphan, take care of the marginalized, be kind to the slave. Remember, yeah, you set were a them slave. Free. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So all those things, but those are, um, I guess the language we would use today would be like, those are incarnations of that, but it goes back to what? It goes back to the whole idea of these are ways in which we are attempting to echo into the world God's reality, God's God's compassion, God's love. We are incarnating that idea that the fact that I belong to God and God is asking me to be like him and the way he is, the way I'm called to be like him is to be compassionate, to be understanding, to be merciful, to be loving. And, and that is where we find the, the richness of that, right? It, it is based on that. And if you're doing that, as Mark said, if you're doing that just for the sake of doing it, well, you've missed the point. And, well, thank you for trying anyway. <laughs> yeah. But you're missing the point. It's not about being seen. It's not about doing this to make myself feel better. It's just like, this is the only way I can echo the house that I belong to, the house of my father, right, yeah. is to be like my father. Yeah, so there's something interesting that you just said, which I think is maybe important for you to think about, Mark, is like confession time. Um, for a, a, the vast majority of my life, I didn't understand, like I've always been the kind of person who wants to help somebody, right? But what I didn't realize is subconsciously I had tied my helpfulness to my lovableness, right? And so it's like, if I'm not helping you, you won't love then me. I don't trust that you love me, kind of. Right. So as the, the Christ the servant, right, do you think, because the, the big part of discernment is, is dealing with your ego, right? Is yeah. this something that I want or is this something I'm being called to, right? Yeah. So do you think for yourself that there's any kind of tie in there that I, I you think need to consider? I think it's something that I have to consider, right? Um, and um, so, I mean, I grew up in a very kind of traditional, tra uh, traditional tradition. I, I, you know, I didn't <laughs> grow up in a charismatic tradition, I, and so um, I, Father Edwin, when I met with him, um, suggested a book by Father Timothy Gallagher called *The Discernment of Spirits*. And what it does is it tries to make a little bit more accessible. Um, St. Ignatius is, uh, teaching on, um, the discernment of spirits and, um, and how to kind of conduct that examination. Um, and, and one some of the first principles is that, you know, when you are in consolation, when you're, you know, close to God, um, then ho the Holy Spirit, you know, is, you're going to have positive reactions to the Holy Spirit and you're going to have negative reactions to, to to the devil and then in reversing when you're in desolation you're moving away from god you're going to have reverse you know you'll, you'll be you'll have positive reactions to temptation and you'll have negative reactions to chastisement um and so I, it is something absolutely that i need to discern and it's something that i need help discerning because um whether it's i don't know if it's strictly speaking pride or vanity but like the idea that i i should be in control mm -hmm. i need to be in control like that failing is probably my chief sin. Um, and so it's something I have to be aware of and something I have to think about. But I know that I'm, I also know that I've been given gifts that would make me good at some of those things, right? Like I, I when we gave at the last um, retreat, like I had guys come up and say, I thought you were a deacon already. Yeah. 
because you just you know what you're doing. Now I know what I'm doing because I've been involved in the altar servant ministry for so long, and as a lead uh, Eucharist extraordinary minister for so long. So I, I know like the names of the holy vessels, and I know how the order of mass is supposed to go. That doesn't make me holy. It yeah. doesn't make me suitable as a deacon, but it does mean I've got some skills, some gifts from God <laughs> that skills could be put to use in the diaconate. And so it's one of the things that does contribute to it. It's not like I don't, it's, there's a temptation towards functionalism in the diaconate that thinking right. that the work that the deacon right. does right. is what defines the deacon. Right. And I don't want to be subject to that. No, it's a spirituality, right? And right. so I think part of it, too, is uh, the question that you ask about motivation is all, mo- all motivations are mixed, right? Everybody has mixed motivations. It's a matter of purifying your motivations. But the discernment question, the discernment point is not so much my motivation because God can work with whatever we give him. <laughs> whatever we give him, he can work with. Yeah. But the discernment point is, is this... Do I feel, do I, am I sure, is an act of faith, is there a determination or a a conviction, right? Is there a conviction that this is what God is calling me to, and am I willing to consider that? And there's there's a tremendous amount of humility and patience that's necessary to undergo discernment for ordination. Like, one of the things that, um, there was an information session that the diocese hosted back in April, and one of the deacons said... um, he said, every weekend that you attend formation, the question is not, is God calling me to be a deacon? The question is, is God calling me to take the next step on the next path? Next step, exactly. So is he calling me to continue? Is he calling me to take that next step? So my uncle Jim um, was, he was, he went to seminary. Like he spoke seven languages and he spent time in Rome and um, he discerned out. Um which is great because now I've got my cousins and, you know, I mean, but the point is not for me to say, Hey, I know I'm ready to be a deacon. The point is, I think I might be called. I want, I want to be open to what God may want to do in my life. And I want to take that next step. And I want to grow closer to God in such a way that I can hear his voice, that right. I can understand how he's trying to move in my life. Right. Um, is this the right thing for, for me and my family? Because it's not just, and, and this was, frankly, I think an astonishing thing that Vatican II did, um, even from the beginning, was it's not the, just the judgment or the discernment of the man involved. Um, it is the, the wife has to be involved. And um, even under the basic norms... Um, that define that uh, in the church, it, it says that um, that the wife has to be involved. Like th- she has to give her written consent, mm-hmm. and um, she, the wife, is strongly encouraged to participate in the formation. Like so, um, a lot of deacons' wives learn as much about theology as their their husbands do because they do participate in that stuff, um, and it's. And frankly, it's unfair, I think, to a lot of deacons' wives um, and families. Like, if you read about kind of the familial impacts um, to deacons and their families, like, especially deacons who with kids under the age of 12, like, those kids are held to a standard to be, like, super holy, right? Like, preacher's kids. Um, and, you know, and I, and I don't think, like, 
my kids are ever going to be in an episode of Footloose, but yeah. <laughs> um, it is. You don't know. It has an impact. Well, they're both over the age of eighteen. Now, okay. So, yeah. um, hey, you never know. You never know. Um, so you got, you've got this impact that impacts the family, um, and and so it's it it one of the other guys who's actually in formation in the prior cohort, he said, it feels like it's going pretty slow sometimes, but it, it quickly became evident that it's slow for a reason. Mm-hmm. That it's slow because you have to have that time to pray. You have to have that time to listen. You have to have that time to have experiences. You have to have that time for the seeds that are planted to germinate and grow so that you can truly discern, is this something that I'm being called to? Is this something that we are being called to? And do I have gifts that God wants me to give to my diocese? Right. And I think part of it, too, is the discernment is not, it's not like, is there a goal to be achieved? It's not about the goal. It's about the process. And and it's God is asking you to consider and enter into the process. And And in the process, regardless of what the ultimate outcome of the process is you've been educated you've been formed you've been uh, your life has been affected in a way that will affect you for the rest of your life because you've entered into the process of consideration right that's what i tell sometimes i I would tell the seminarians like remember you know abraham was was, you know god asked abraham if he would be willing to sacrifice isaac and it wasn't that he wanted isaac to be killed he's like no, I just want you to consider this. Are you willing to let go completely of everything, all your hopes and dreams? Are you willing to let go of that and trust in me? That was the test. And so sometimes the consideration is that, am I willing to let go of control? Am I willing to let go of what I believe my life should be? And are you willing to just walk in faith? And that is the real consideration in the discernment part. Yeah. But it's it it's that's that's the discernment that every single one of us is called to. Right. And um and we don't always undertake. Yeah. Right? Well, cuz the end goal, speaking of the goal for you father or you Mark or me, whether you become a deacon or not, is sainthood. Right. right. Like that's the goal. Sanctity. It's yeah. just the journey yeah. how are we each getting right. there? Right. Yeah. Right. Is this the information uh what you call it seminar weekend? Gathering the information, the information week. Yeah, is this one where where your wife found out she's a beautiful butterfly? Is no, that, that no, one? she got the beautiful butterfly pamphlet um, ahead of time. Okay, I, I actually asked her like, do you want me? To, do you want me to keep that? She's like, I love that beautiful butterfly pamphlet. Like nobody else is ever going to call me a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> so I definitely want to keep the pamphlet. Yeah, we need to have the beautiful butterfly on the show someday too, as well. She's she is the most as long as she behaves. <laughs> she can't possibly behave. She has to bring her full authentic self. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things that they said at that weekend was that um, Deacon Vince called deacons the Levites of the New Covenant, which I loved. Yeah. Especially after listening to, to Bible in a Year a couple times, mm-hmm. right? Like just the idea of those Levites and, you know, the non-Aaronic Levites who serve at the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, if you think about all the ancient modern uh, analogs, like, you know, responsibility for carrying the cross, the, the ark, mm-hmm. um, and tie that into the responsibility for giving the chalice and the patent to the priest for the consecration. Right. Um, if you think about, it is carrying the consecrated hosts. I mean, that is 
the ordinary p- person who would, like if we had a tabernacle behind the altar, mm-hmm. it would be the deacon who would bring those consecrated hosts and put it and lock them in the tabernacle mm-hmm. after communion. Yeah. Um, and so um, that role, like what a privilege that yeah. is to serve at the Mass. Yeah. And again, like all of us have that opportunity. You can serve. I, I do. This weekend, I'll be serving as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. And that is such a joy and a privilege. And it's, you know, we've talked about before, and, uh, and you've talked about before, about, you know, how the, the, the Eucharist is the, the source and the summit. And, you know, you, you know, people talk about not being fed at the Mass, but you're literally being fed at yeah. the Mass. And this is why, you know, regardless of who the priest is or how his homilies are, um, <laughs> you're going to go to the Catholic Church. Yeah, I love your homilies. Yeah. By the way, I, I truly, <laughs> truly have always loved your homilies. Um, I don't know like what you would say in an open forum versus at uh, no know, at chirp. <laughs> but chirp um, is chirp. That's chirp. That's yeah. that's just it, the men. It, it is. So. Yeah, something that's interesting. I'm thinking about the the diaconate, and you said you you know you've got gifts that God might call you to to use. Right. Right. And um, I think it's. It's always a good guess to just guess that it was St. Paul, but Paul says to um, do a very sober assessment of yourself, right? Um, but what's beautiful ab- about God is, because I, like, I know you and I know how you, the kind of professions that you've been in and, and the work that you do and the service, like I've being on chirp groups with you, like I know you're the kind of guy where it's like, we need somebody who like we can just trust is going to go take care of this thing, Mark, right? Mark's going to go take care of this thing. So the beautiful thing, though, is all of your strengths, God might call you into service in a way where you're never going to use any of them, and it's going to be something else, <laughs> right? And you're just like, oh, I could go clean up this mess, but God's saying, no, I want you to go do this other thing instead. Right. And that's that's a really, I love when that kind of stuff happens. It's, um, like it's, it's, you know, like it's the humility prayer, like don't, yeah. Don't don't ask God to teach you humility because he's absolutely <laughs> going to take you up on that. Oh, yeah. Or like praying, asking for patience, right? It's yeah. like Skip, so, I was always asking for patience. Yep. He'll give you so many chances to be patient. Yeah. Be smart. Yeah. Don't ask for it if you don't mean it. Mm. Exactly. So um, one of the things that they talked about during that information session is Deacon Vince offered what he thought were four key aspects of what makes for a good deacon. And so one of them is that they're humble. Um, and you know, that doesn't mean isn't like a big person. It means knows your limitations. Thoughtfully, you think about who you really are and what your strengths and weaknesses are, et cetera. And so, I, I mean, I, I, I try to do that and I keep praying for, for more <laughs> humility. Um, one is docile, and I love that as a Catholic word, right? Mm-hmm. Like it Very, means yeah. teachable. Yeah. Right. Can Malleable. You, yeah. Can you learn? Yeah. Can you put aside your ego and learn? Um, oriented towards community and communion and thinking with the heart of the church. And those two, I think, are um, are harder for a layperson to say, hey, is that me? Mm-hmm. But, um, but it is... It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary to think about. And I don't know what your experience was, Father. Like when you were discerning the priesthood, it's such a big responsibility. It is. It, it, and yeah, there's moments, there are moments of terror. <laughs> but then again, it, it is, it's not so much about my ability. It's about do I have enough 
if I feel convicted that I'm called to this, again, being an introvert, right? So being an introvert, being called to speak publicly and to preach, I'm like, uh, do I have enough faith in God that he will, he will do this in me? And can I allow him to do this in me? And that's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's moments that are still terrifying. There are moments that are just filled with joy. And there are moments where like, come on, Jesus, let's <laughs> give me a break. Uh, there are those moments as well. But I think a lot of it has to do with part of the humility, right? You, you spoke about humility. And as a Carmelite, you know, Teresa of Jesus says, humility is to stand in the truth, both of your gifts and your, and your weaknesses. Do I have enough objectivity of myself to know what my strengths are and my weaknesses are? And can I entrust them to the Spirit? that the spirit will do what the spirit is going to do. Yeah. And it's, um, I can't imagine having tried to do that when I was in my twenties. Like I was a jack wagon in my twenties. Like I had zero <laughs> humility, you know, and, and luckily I've had 30 years in married life and, and uh, adulthood and things to knock off some of those sharper edges and to, to be taught, you know, Hey, like it's not helping to make, you know, to pretend that you're something that you're not. Um, so I just, I can't imagine really having that humility. Um, and it's one of the things I'm, I'm grateful of is I, I think that if I'm going to serve in, in a liturgical role, if I'm going to serve in an ordained role, um, that it wasn't something that I was called to do when I was just not ready for it. Um, and, and I know that God can make us ready. Like, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. I don't know that I had the willingness to... The, you know, the, the, the humility to, to step back and let God in. And, and when talking about discernment too, the discernment part is uh, it, it happens in God's time. Yeah. And it, in your own particular journey in divine providence, the time, that, the time that you've decided to discern is the time that God had appointed you to discern because this is the time that he had appointed for you. So in, in Providence, this is the way it's worked out. It's like whenever a man or the women go to chirp, like it's it's not like I should have done this five years ago. Like, no, this is this is the time because this is the time in Providence that God is destined for you to be here. And so now is the time to consider, now is the time to to pray and think about this. And so there is no such thing as lost time in, in God's design. But again, uh it's where, where are you? Where are you? And for the for the priest uh, priesthood, you have to be at least twenty five years old before you're ordained. And for the diaconate, I don't think there's a. I think it might be just probably the same thing. But in terms of the church, highly discourages you from entering early because they're afraid. Like, well, yeah, but what happens if you fall in love and you're going to get married? Uh, they don't tell priests that, but priests will do that. Yeah, <laughs> as we've seen in history. Uh, Luther. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that, that there's stuff that happens that the you know the church cannot uh, foresee. But I think it, when it comes for diaconate, I think the church says like you can be you can enter the permanent diaconate young, but are you sure? Yeah. Because so, once you're ordained, you, you, that's it. You cannot yeah. get married. Yeah. It, it's a in celibate the, state. In the diocese of Dallas, you must, must be between the ages of 35 and 65. Okay. Um, and um, and that's one of the things. So. Um, there's there's still a, a, a vow of celibacy, um, but um, it doesn't supersede your marriage. Right. Um, but if if I were to predece- if my wife were to predecease me, if I were a widower, 
uh, and I were a deacon, then I have made yep. that commitment to celibacy afterwards. Right. Right. Um, and if you're a young unmarried man and you're discerning the permanent diaconate, um, you are taking that, you're, you're, you're taking that vow as well. Now exactly. I suspect that I've never seen any numbers, but I suspect that a number of the men who are discerning the diaconate unmarried are probably also like considering orders where that would require the three vows anyways. I don't know. I mean, I, I have run across a couple of men who are in their thirties who are considering the, the permanent diaconate. I go like, more power to you. I mean, if this, if, if do you, re, it's basically it would be sort of like discerning that God is calling me to uh, a celibate single life, mm-hmm. but ordained to the ministry of service. I go like, Right. There's something wrong with that. No, and there's not, and it's, I think a lot of people think of that as, well, you know, you just couldn't hack it as a priest. No, it's a, it is a a different different vocation. It is. You're, I mean, that, that diaconate role, that permanent diaconate is meant to serve as a bridge between the lay world and the, you know, the religious world, between clerics and um, kind of the secular world. Um, Because, you know, for the most part, priests, there are places that priests really, I mean, you can't, like, you're not going to, like, wander into an office building and preach the word of God, um, <laughs> right? Because you're not employed there. Yeah. I don't know, Father, you want to come visit at work one day? <laughs> you're like, how do I get here? But a deacon can do that. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I guess if you worked here. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, the, it's easy, it's easier, I think, for, for the people in the pews to think, well, you know, he's a priest, he's probably holier than me, he's been ordained. Um, but for a deacon, well, I mean, that deacon goes home and has the exact same problems <laughs> and joys that you do. Yeah. Right? They'll go fight with their wife, they'll go fight with their kids, they'll, ha- you know, have a... But it'd be holy fights. Yeah. The one thing they can't do, <laughs> they can't load up the car and get to Mass, like... 15 minutes late. That's the one thing they can't do. They cannot do that. <laughs> no. The one difference. No. Well, I mean, I guess if they're not actually serving at the Mass. Oh, yeah, then they could. Totally free to do it then. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. It makes me think just the, the focus on that. It's a different uh, form, right? It's a different It's a different vocation. It's a different spirituality. It, it makes me think a lot of... And I love the depth and variety in the Catholic Church. Um, the Eastern Catholic rites where the priests can marry and some of them, they still take vows of chastity and they're like, nope, I'm not called to marriage as well, right? right? Because they understand them as different vocations. It's really interesting stuff. Well, there's even lay communities, I think. Isn't Opus Dei, um, is that one where they vow to live as brother and sister? There's, it depends. There's different levels of commitment within the Opus Dei. And even within uh, other uh, societies of apostolic life where you can take, it would be a private vow. It wouldn't be a public vow uh, in terms of of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And the difference would be that in a private vow, you're not necessarily a religious. You belong to a lay institute, right? So there's, and again, the variety, as you said, the variety in 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 the church is amazing. All the variety, the different ways in which you can live your committed life. There is um, what we call sickle sickle sol, which is the congregation. What 
it's a sacred congregation in, for institutes of consecrated life and institutes of apostolic li- societies or something or other. And like this huge long <laughs> name that, that covers all varieties of, of consecrated life, whether it's a lay institute, whether it's a prelature, whether it's religious consecrated life or whether it's monastic life, whether it's synabetic life or medical life, all these different types of ways of living out the, the gospel call. But there, there is a, a wide variety of responding to, to your, the personal call that you feel convicted that God is, is asking you to, to live in the church. Yeah. And that's, that's got to be, I think, a part of that. That discernment has to include, um, you know, if, if, if I'm feeling like I need more, well, I mean, yeah. that life of service in the diaconate, maybe that's not the right path. You know, right, right. Is, 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 this, is this a call where I need to go find a different way to live life? Um, like, again, it's six years, which yeah. is, um, seems like a long time, and it's a big commitment. But also, on the other hand, um, so l- let me read this, um, because this, is, this always gets to me. Um, when you th- look into the catechism and it's, uh, for holy orders, um, what the catechism says is, and I gotta find it. Um, What's here it? it is. Like the that. sacrament of orders configures the recipient to Christ by a special grace of the Holy Spirit, so that he may serve as Christ's instrument for his church. By ordination, he is enabled to act as representative of Christ in his triple office of priest, prophet, and king. Um, that is so beautiful and attractive and. Um, like something that I, I, I can't imagine not look, listen, reading that and going, huh, that sounds like a gift beyond, a, a, a value beyond measure. But on the other hand, wow, is that intimidating right. and kind of scary. And um, I'm not sure that I'm ever going to be holy enough to do that. I don't um, know if I'm the guy. Right. <laughs> Right, and and so um, and so that discernment process, you know, takes a long time. I think because it has to, because we need it. Um, certainly, I would need it. Well, what's next for you? What's the next step? Because that's something you said. What's the next step? And this is because we could talk about this forever and ever. Yeah. But it's, we're we're about time. So, what would be, what's the next step for you? And for so people can pray for that thing for you, right? Yeah. Um, so the next step is that period of inquiry. So it's, it's a year, um, and it's a year where, um, Robin and I would go to St. Raphael, um, like one Saturday a month, not even for the full day, but for most of a day. Um, and, um, there's formative activities. Um, and it's, it's things like, you know, beginning to pray the divine office together as a group and, um, you know, talking uh, through some of the initial uh, points on theology and some assignments and reading and those kinds of things. Um, and so that's, that's a year, right? It's one weekend a month. The amount of time that you dedicate is, you know, maybe four to eight extra hours outside of that per month, um, which will build up, right? Like if you're going through actual theology and pastoral formation and stuff during the final few years, like that's probably 20 to 40 hours per month uh, above and beyond the, my day job. Um, but initially, it's just it's inquiry, and um, and it's going to include things like talking to a diocese um, psychologist and talking to a priest, and you know having spiritual direction and really opening myself up to some complete strangers about 
my motivations and trying mm-hmm. to really think honestly and candidly and perfectly about why am I doing this? And is it for the right reasons? And am I truly being called? So, um, so again, it's, it's a long process and it's, it's all of a whole, right? It's not, it's not goal oriented. It, it is a process and it's a process that's integral. It's a gestalt, but, um, but that's the first step. So it's not overwhelming. Um, it also includes Robin. So like there are other parts that don't include my wife as much, but this is the couple every weekend, um, once a month, every month, we're both there going through this process. Um, and it, I think it'll, it'll, it provides that first opening of the door into, Hey, what, what is this going to look like? And what, you know, how, how is your life going to be different? Yeah. All right. Well, we know what to pray for then. I would appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. I, I, this was fun. Such, such a great pleasure to be here. I mean, and <laughs> honestly, both of you are a big part of why I've been discerning the diaconate. Yeah. Um, because of that experience with Christ Renews His Parish and because of, um, because of the importance of having other good Christians in your life and, you know, and, and thinking about those things and not just, you know, binging shows on Netflix. Yeah. Like Babylon 5. <laughs> there are exceptions. There, there are good exceptions. Yeah. Moderation in all things. Exactly. There you go. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Thank and you very much. We will be praying for Mark, yes. and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Bye.